It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. Uh, chief uh, in, uh, writer at the Independent, journalist, football journalist, Miguel Delaney, can we have a round of applause? The Irish system's a bit earlier and a little bit different to here. But also, I was basically, I, I was good at English, good at history, um, and I love football. I did have to say, I found him increasingly difficult to, to work with the, the longer I went on because he became so spiky and difficult with the media. Mm-hmm. But even then, it has to be said, he was always great copy. And he was always kind yeah, of like, he yeah. was just like, he always gave you something to write about. Speaking of Madrid, Paul Pogba, is it happening? Uh, I think that's somewhat dependent on Bale. Madrid basically, Madrid right now can't really afford what Manchester United wants. So that's what it comes down and to. What's the figure? Uh, United will want about 180 million. The problem is, which attack in Europe is going to come to Liverpool to sit on the bench? I, I, I'd say I'd be shocked if that doesn't happen. Shocked. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we doing this evening? I'm good Budge man, how are you? I'm, I'm very, very I'm, well. I'm excited, I'm, very, I'm very, really, well. really excited. I can, I can see the look <laughs> on your face, I can, I can tell. How about you Dej, how are you? Oh, I'm very, very excited. If you see the smile on my face, <laughs> it's as long as the River Thames. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and, and listeners, you're probably wondering why that is, why we all got smiles on our faces. It's because we have a very, very special guest today. And I think it's very timely because earlier on in the day, it was raining. The <laughs> sun then came out, you know, um, and, and, and brighten up the day. And I'm afraid, you know, we don't have um, a leprechaun at the, end of a, <laughs> at the end of a rainbow of a pot of gold. But what we do have is an Irishman who is well-esteemed in the footballing world. And we do have gold in the form of the content that we are going <laughs> to deliver this evening for our listeners. So we want to welcome to our, uh, our platform, we want to welcome to the Beautiful Game uh, podcast, uh, chief uh, in, uh, writer at The Independent, journalist, football journalist, Miguel Delaney. Can we have a round of applause? Welcome to welcome, 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 welcome. Thanks. Pleasure, pleasure to be here. As I'm, as I'm shown by taking all your minstrels <laughs> <laughs> and the Maltesers. You are, you are, you are welcome. That's like the first thing you went for yeah, me. Before you they, look, they, they look good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank so, you for coming. Thank you for coming. You're, absolutely. We, we you're one really of the writers that I've, I've always respected. And anytime you say something, it's fact. No, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> yeah, yes. we appreciate you coming on. This is a major coup for our channel. Absolutely. I that. mean, we've had Adrian Kajumba, we had Raman Osman, and for you to come on as well, we really, really appreciate no, it. No problem, guys, yeah. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So, you know, we want to, uh, over the course of this episode, you know, pick your brains on a number of different topics um, and, and just really just, 
you know, learn a bit more about you. Um, I'm sure our listeners will be really interested to find out about, you know, your, your background, how you got into journalism and that kind of thing. So I think that that would be the sort of the best place for us to start. So, you know, how, yeah, how, how did you, um, you know, have start your career in, in journalism? Um, I, I did actually a degree in journalism in Dublin um, and I was quite young when I started. I think the, the Irish system is a bit earlier and a little bit different to here. But also I was basically, I, I was good at English, good at history um, and I love football. Uh, so like when I was kind of deciding what I wanted to do in uni or as college as we say in Dublin, mm. um, I it almost became as if like journalism was a natural choice with a view to get into sports journalism. Mm. Uh, so I did the four year degree there, um, and I was kind of like, that was actually a time in the Irish media where it was going through a bit of a, a rough patch in terms of kind there was a lot of changes and a few kind of financial problems with some of the papers. But I was quite lucky in the sense that literally I think two months before we finished the degree, we were brought on a day trip to the Irish newspaper, the Sunday Tribune, right. which, which I suppose the it would have been the Irish equivalent of the Observer. Right, and it was okay. like, it was only me and one other guy in my class that actually went or my my term that went up to uh, the sports department, uh, and like sport the sports editor took our names said like if you want to come in for experience give us a shout. Three months later, just after I finished my exams, my la- my final exams for the for uh, the degree, um, I got a call basically. Yeah, we've got two two sub editing shifts a week. Oh, if you want to come in, I, and I, I jumped at the opportunity, and I kind of like I think sub sub editing is something that people kind of maybe don't really consider when they're getting into journalism, but. I have to say it was an absolutely brilliant preparation because it just it teaches you all the nuts and bolts and mm. kind of what works and what doesn't. And you're also in an office, and and so you get to know how an office works as well. So like I was working in the in the sports department as sub editor, kind of just because I was gradually made myself part of the furniture. This was this was in two thousand four, and I was actually kind of fortunate. I had these two days a week while I, I was doing a masters. After my degree, I did that in politics, which has not already gone to use since. But so I so I ended up kind of just and but so by two thousand six or no late two thousand five they were kind of letting me do stuff on football, um and then by uh, two thousand seven two thousand eight I was kind of one of their football writers, mm. uh well like I went to Euro two thousand and eight went to twenty ten World Cup, um and then unfortunately about a year after that. The paper actually it was one of the first victims of the kind of post two thousand and eight recession, wow. and it went it went bust. Um, but so I went freelance for a year in Dublin, uh, and had started to kind of get work for the Independent over here and a few other places, and decided to move over to London in twenty twelve, and it's kind of gone from there. Like um, I was fr- I was freelancing for a good few years mm. before I finally got the the full time job in the Independent, right? Uh, okay. Where I've been now since uh, January twenty seventeen. Right. Okay. Mm. And so, did you feel like in order for you to develop and and push your career on, that was a that was a move that you had to do. You had to come to London. Yeah, yeah I have to. Like, if you, I think, in fact, it's, it's something that's always worth stressing to anyone who wants to be a, a journalist in this way, um, and especially a football journalist, given how specific the industry is. And it, it does take a little bit of investment, and maybe it's, it's a difficult choice for people to do. But I think you've ultimately got to go where the work is, and maybe, and, and in a case like this, I suppose where where the biggest game. Is. Okay, if, you, if you think about it, England is now even more so than Spain and certain maybe in a way that Italy was in the nineties, but England's almost like the center of the universe for football at the moment, mm-hmm. which means that mm-hmm. it's where all the stories are and where a lot of the jobs are. Um, so like when I was working for the Sunday Tribune, I, I, like Ireland's obviously got a huge interest in English football. They kind of treat it as if it was the, their own league yeah, in that sense. Yeah. Um, so I would have been, a, like they, they would have sent me over a fair bit to kind of, you know, gigs in England, but still it's not the same as living here. Yeah, and kind of, so I was free, I was freelancing in Ireland for a year and then I decided oh, I, ha- I have to, have to make the move. Uh, so, like, if I mean, that is one thing I would recommend to anyone, that, any young journalist interested. That you, oh, you can't, you can't, or in very rare cases, it's you'd struggle to do it from you. No matter how kind of how much the internet kind of democratizes everything, mm. it's difficult to do it from your home town. You've kind of almost got to go where the work is. I mean, yeah. I suppose you, you lads are fortunate that you live in London. Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we take it for granted, don't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. But, but, yeah, you know that, that that also leads me to another question that has been on my mind for a little while. And that is, obviously, like you said, you know, you mm. moved from, from, from Dublin Island down to, to London. Mm. Now, I know that, like, one of the factors in the, in the question that I'm going to ask is obviously down to the availability of jobs. Yeah. But what I wanted to understand is how does a journalist choose the paper that they, that they want to work for? I mean, you, you can target it if you want. It's very difficult to do. And that, that's, it, there's an interesting thing there because I do know a lot of journalists, and especially like you hear from a lot of I suppose, student journalists, well, like, oh, I wouldn't want to work for that paper. I don't want to agree with their politics or their ethics. So, I don't want, mm, but yeah. to, I mean, that, I think that's 
that's not really a choice you have if you want to get into the industry. I think it's about, I think early on, to be honest, getting real real experience is important as anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and to a degree, it's kind of pot, pot luck whether you can get in somewhere. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not about, it's, not, it's not really about choosing. It's about kind of getting work where you can. Yeah. Especially in the last 20 years, I'd say, where the industry's kind of shrank a bit and jobs have been more at a premium um, it's kind of just about putting yourself out there, and I, I, I suppose I was quite fortunate when I came over. Um, and actually, I have to say, Twitter actually helped me this way coming over from Dublin. Okay. That yeah. um, I managed to get like when I was a freelancer, mm-hmm. it worked out quite well for me, and I had a few different gigs. Like, I was working for ESPN, I was working for the Irish yeah. Examiner back home, and then eventually the Sunday Independent uh, back home, and a few other uh, things here and there until until I got the full time job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, from a freelance perspective, it was about kind of you know. Yeah. Uh, building up those relationships and that's almost one of the things more important in journalism than else actually reliability as much as any sort of talent or mm-hmm. kind of contacts just being able to prove you can do the job solidly and once you do that people will, will come back to you yeah and and does that change at all once you you've been in a role or you've been at a paper for a little while you're you're a bit more well established mm-hmm. you know you've got a name and that kind of thing and the reason I ask that is because, for example, David Ornstein, yeah. um, who's uh, you know a, a writer at mm. the at BBC, yeah. th- th- there was something that I read recently about him moving to the US to help grow. Well, yeah. So that's, it's, 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 yeah. it's interesting you bring it up. For, I mean, first of all, in relation to your first point about whether you pick and choose <laughs> what media you can work for. Um, so, first, so where David is going, he's not moving to the US. He's going to this new company called The Athletic, yes. okay. who yeah. are um, there. They've been going in the US for the last three years. Right. They're a kind of they're a completely subscription model, and the whole idea is basically just to you're pay for quality content. So they've made a huge push in the US. Have been successful there. They're coming. They're they're now about to build a massive uh, football or soccer department, they call it, and they're make, they're making fifty five appointments. Uh, oh, I think. Wow. So first of all, I think w- w- one thing that will do actually, whatever about if you if anyone gets a job off the athletic themselves. That is already going to create a lot of work in the industry because of the fact, well, there's 55 new jobs created, but also because they've taken so many journalists from other places, those papers have to employ, employ someone else. Yeah, yeah. it's a knock on effect. So, yeah. that, so that's already happened, yeah. I think, because I, I, without, without revealing names, I know yeah. of one, one colleague who was offered a job by um, one particular paper and he basically told him politically he couldn't work for them. So he got to choose because right, okay. <laughs> in that regard. But that's a, that's a, rare, a rare situation to get yourself in. But yeah, the, so the Atletic are kind of now the. Um, I, I I think they're launching in the next month, but it's going to be a very like it's kind of been the talk of journalism at the moment. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying to Dej. Like, it seems like the journalism window <laughs> is more exciting than the transfer. <laughs> it's, 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 it's been sad. It's been sad. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot of. Lot of hype yeah, I've seen a few journals saying that this is their last day at a specific paper. And okay. Yeah. Thinking, hmm, are they going? Yeah. Are they going to the athletic? Is it? So yeah. It's going to be that, interesting. That's, that, that's going to be a very very interesting mm. one. You know, and and is that like. So is it is it going to be like this being his last season then with uh, the BBC or is it with no? So I think soon is, I, I think quite what the situation is. I mean, David hasn't confirmed. I do know David a bit. Yeah. He's a great guy. He hasn't confirmed himself. So we're speaking like this is yeah, a player yeah, transfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I, I, I think I think it's almost <laughs> like, um, the way it's been working with all the athletic hires basically is that you you serve out your notice period. So one of my colleagues only one month. Mine would have been three months. I'm not. I'm saying independent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's just, I think it's just about serving. Once you serve your notice period, mm. which is usually about three months, okay. then you, uh, you 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 can move on. Move on. Yeah, yeah place. And um, one of the things that you mentioned this was this was actually off air when you were talking about mm. um, you know where your office is and that mm. kind of thing. You mentioned that you're you're not uh, at the office. Very <laughs> no, very very. Right, right. And and that leads me to the question: like, what is an what's what's a normal day like for you? Then I imagine um, you're, you're traveling quite a bit. You're, you're here, there, and everywhere. What what what's it look like? For so you? it could be. I suppose in general, I have. <laughs> Four main types of working days. Wow. Um, one, which maybe I'd like the best, <laughs> is uh, mm. when I basically get to stay at home and just work from home. And like, so you're, you're basically on WhatsApp all day kind of on, <laughs> on the people. <laughs> but, but, but you are like, yeah. work, as in you're kind of it for information and, yeah. and yeah. chat and like interviews and all that sort of thing. And you're right from home. Uh, although as much as that, um, the other side then is when you're traveling for a big game, which of course I absolutely love as much as anything. Yeah. And it's why I'm in the job. Um, but... I'd say I I must travel to about I must have at least thirty foreign trips a year. Wow! Um, wow. 
so maybe maybe more like it genuinely is all the time and that's just it's usually kind of they usually are kind of three-day trips like you go say for the champions league game on a wednesday you go on the tuesday you're there on the wednesday come back on the thursday so i'd I'd have that a lot that that, that'd be like a champions league time it's once every two weeks say then you'd have a day maybe you or you're out either kind of you go to a press conference um or just or go into a meeting or kind of you know because that's a lot of the job as well. It's kind of meeting contacts and that sort of thing. A lot of it is talking, really, as much as writing. Um, and then it's finally, it's just um, where you're, when you're going to a game nearby, which in my case, I suppose, would be Stamford Bridge or... Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. I know you're a famed um, journalist for breaking exclusives. How does that come about? It, ultimately, that comes about through uh, the build-up of contacts. I mean, that's that's... And that's why I'm, I'm, I say there that so much of the job is talking to people and getting to know people because uh, it's it's ultimately it's about um, the procural of information and and yeah. I think that can come from anywhere. I mean, I suppose the, the most notorious one. I'm not notorious, but it's unfair. But the most famous, I suppose, is, uh, through through the agent network because agents are at the centre of so much mm. and so much info comes with comes through them because I was just dealing with so many clubs and I mean, as as a friend of mine was just even say you know pointing out the other day he was in negotiations for one of his own players to sell from Premier League club but even through that like they're, they're like he's just privy to information about why they're why they want to buy why they want to buy him what like what, what, what essentially what's happening yeah yeah um, so, so but, but it can, that can spread from like I mean you know it, it is amazing like it, contacts can come in almost any form you'd be you'd be surprised at some of the people that would actually offer the best info information mm. So what's the most um, rewarding part of the job? Is it breaking that exclusive? Is it writing a piece that amasses traction? Or is it visiting all the stadiums around the world? Um, they're kind of different. They're a different thing. Because um, I do love... I love... There's nothing like going on a bit. And even... I'd say I go to 80, 90 games a season. Sometimes there are like random Premier League games. You're like, oh, Christ. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. That's unavoidable. But, but at the same time, like I remember I remember thinking at the World Cup final last year, like when you kind of step in, then you're like, oh, this is what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Like the excitement just yeah. it really hits you. So I, mean, I think that's incomparable. But I, but I suppose that's kind of a more innocent aspect to it in terms of like you're just delighted to be at, at the big game. In terms of breaking a big story... That, that, that that's kind of a bit, that's a, almost a thrill in that sense, mm-hmm. like to get to get that real that proper exclusive. There's a real buzz buzz about that, um, but then to a degree that that is I'm not gonna, I don't think it's pot luck, but it's also an element of like you've 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 been passed on the info. It's kind of a one off hit. So I think the, the most rewarding part of the job for me and one of the things I kind of enjoy in the long term most, even though it's quite a challenge, is when you do some kind of big piece that has you've worked on a lot you've talked to a lot of people there's been a lot of research gone into it and it gets a good result. i mean one of the ones i'm thinking of i suppose is one i did at the end of may about you know the, how football may change in the next five years and whether the 92 clubs can actually survive in the current form um especially with, with issues like bolton and berry mm-hmm. but yeah I, I like i mean and also because you feel as if because that covers what's quite a serious issue for the game you feel actually there's a there's a comes a, a greater value to that that you, you <laughs> your work at least might matter in some way <laughs> uh, rather than just being kind of covering lads kicking a ball around <laughs> but, uh, or ladies kicking a ball around um but yeah so i think i think it's probably the most most rewarding element fair play and you know when you were talking about how important it is for you to have a, a bit of an extensive network mm. when it comes to your contacts within the game and that's how you you you, you get mm. your, your your content and that kind of thing what i wanted to to know was you know is is it a case that you have to go out and try and seek for all of your information or does is there ever a case where a story falls in your lap or yeah. an information information just comes to you that that can, that, 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 that can completely happen yeah that, that 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 can happen a lot i'm trying i'm just trying to think of examples um it just if, if it's in someone's interest to get something out there they'll like sometimes they'll, 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 they'll seek you they'll, out they'll send it to kind of they kind of to send they'll send it to seven or eight journalists the papers and get it out yeah Club, right. clubs will often do it themselves they'll actually they'll give off the record briefings um in terms of I suppose how you get contacts it's an in, that's actually something we discuss a lot in among ourselves because there's certain it ultimately comes down to personality types mm-hmm. and there's some journalists who kind of revel at that part of the job and they'd be quite pushy about it like they'd they'd get numbers and kind of i don't want to say harass people but they would like they'd be very persistent yeah, until, yeah, until they get yeah. someone to talk to i personally that wouldn't really be my style yeah, and yeah, i suppose yeah. i'm more of kind of maybe let things build organically and like one of the ways you, i suppose you build contacts through going to events just being around mm-hmm. and like oh, one of the ways i found like if you say 
so say I did I did a piece last week on Neymar and kind of the structure around his life and you kind of yeah. Well, yeah. so one of the I ways you would build I read that, I read that. one of the ways you yeah. build like so you're, you're trying to get in touch with people who would talk to you about it and like once you have one conversation with someone about something then the kind of that opens the kind of the, the dialogue channel and then they kind of mm-hmm. put you in touch with other people but yeah so um, I think it can be quite organic but some journalists are brilliant at kind of just you know getting phone numbers and keeping going yeah fair play okay. so, so what I've always wondered what teams do you actually cover or are you just you know like general you just cover all teams differently I, basically I, I'm probably general um, until I got my current job I was probably more based in London and more and because I actually I'm no, I can w- walk to Stamford Bridge in about forty-five minutes from my house. So I kind of I would have done Chelsea fair, but now because like I'm, I'm chief football writer, so it's essentially whatever the biggest story is, which these which these days means a lot of trips up north to Manchester. <laughs> right, okay, okay. And and generally, do journalists get to pick if they wanted to? Do they get to pick a club that they 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 want to cover? For example, again, I used mm. uh, David Ornstein just because I'm an Arsenal fan. <laughs> Did he just yeah. choose to cover Arsenal? Uh, um, I think I, I think with David probably happened more organically, and this is I think with most journalists basically when you get into the job because you're so in my experience anyway, and like a lot of people I know because you're so enthusiastic about like it's just about whatever club you're doing like so you know I know a lot of kind of like West Ham fans are covering Fulham or whatever, but it's, it is about yeah. kind of and then eventually I suppose it's about if if you have any ambition I suppose it's about trying to get to cover the top clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a freelancer, you could maybe. Um, target you, you like you could you could say right. I'm gonna I'm gonna nail this club. I'm gonna target yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but even a freelancer to become the go-to guy yeah. for news on that. <laughs> yeah, particular yeah. Club. But e- but even yeah. if you're a freelancer, I mean, you're still kind of some way dependent because first of all, obviously, you need someone to commission your work because you can't just turn up at a press conference. You have to kind of email the club beforehand and say I'm, I'm covering this press conference for these people. And second, also, and this this I suppose maybe a big issue in terms of people starting out as freelancer or whatever. You need a data co license to actually cover a Premier League game. Wow, okay. um, so like every every journalist has, it's basically your press accreditation. And you can get one freelance now, you couldn't before. Uh, but I think you still need to show proof of work and it's it's easier to get one obviously if you have a, yeah. even if you're a freelancer, if you have a newspaper you regularly work for. So when I was a freelancer, ESPN and The Independent did my uh, my data co-accreditation. So then you're, even if you want to, you know, say if you want to cover Arsenal, you'd still need someone to want you to go to Arsenal every now and then. Fine. Okay. So in terms of clubs, which clubs are the best to cover in terms of hospitality, the <laughs> treatment of the press? Because you see it on TV a lot. Managers can be frosty towards yeah. press mm. sections and, and stuff like that. So well, first, I tell you, there's a few actually different elements to that quite. First of all, there's how... Com- well, first of all, I suppose the best thing is do you enjoy watching the team? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yes, like yes. T- when I first moved here, it was 2012-13. Manchester United were very good to watch then because it was still Ferguson. <laughs> yeah. They've not been good to watch since most yeah. of the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and now Man City are obviously probably, the, or Liverpool are probably the two best teams to watch. Yeah. So that's, what, that's obviously the main element. Then it's about, in terms of best to cover, then it's actually, this, this is really bad to say, but it's about, I suppose, the comfort of the stadium you go to. Okay. And a big thing for journalists is also the food they get served at the, at the stadium. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I, I think this is quite an interesting thing. Basically, oh. a, lot, a lot of media departments know if they put out nice food, even if it's a subconscious thing, and it's not like they're kind of buying the, the journalists off, but even even if it's a subconscious thing, journalists might be kind of one percent nicer with the club just because they're yeah, they, like, oh, and that, yeah. like so, so Chelsea do really good food. Um, so you love going to Stamford Bridge, <laughs> <laughs> Bridge is that? and it's close to your yeah. home as well. Double yeah, bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Then then it's, then I suppose it's about the relationship you've got with the media team and how how good they are. I I can't really speak too much on record <laughs> about this because um <laughs> I have to maintain a relationship with like, yeah. people. Don't worry, <laughs> tell us off. So, so, so some some clubs can obviously be very kind of uh, easy to deal with and even even when you ha- you're doing a story that they don't like and are critical of or you're there is a bit of you having a bit of an argument with them, they at least can see why you're doing it and where you're coming from and you at least have a, a, dial- a kind of a, a good dialogue with them. Um and then, and then there's others who are really aggressive and just difficult to deal with in general. Mm-hmm. And another part of that is actually how much clubs li- give you, like in terms of how much access they give the media, um, like a, where they give a lot of interviews. Like Liverpool were really good at that in the build-up to the Champions League final. Yeah. And uh, like have been qu- quite good in general. Um, Fulham previously hadn't been great for that, but I think they've improved in recent years. So that, that's another big big concern for us or a big issue in terms of who's good to cover. And then finally, I suppose it's also about, because you, this is the kind of the, the, the face of the club, mm-hmm. it's about the manager and who's, yep. uh, who's, 
But then there's two different things there because sometimes managers you personally like and you you kind of you you find them quite good to talk to are actually not good to work on because they don't really say much. Okay. Um, yeah. Whereas managers you you find really difficult and you think basically oh, like this guy's a prick. <laughs> but they can actually they, they can they can actually be brilliant to work with because they they always give you something. Um but um and not to say he's a prick, but uh, <laughs> but when, when, like, do, even I, I got when I, when I when I first moved over here, uh, I used to absolutely love Mourinho, I, I, and I covered Chelsea a lot with him. I, I covered the, both his title win there and his collapse, uh, and I, I I did have to say I found him increasingly difficult to to work with be, the the longer I went on because he became so spiky and difficult with the media. Mm-hmm. But even then, it has to be said he was always great copy and he was always kind yeah, of like, he yeah. was just like, he always gave you something to write about. And yeah. I, and I don't just mean that in terms of kind of cheap quotes, just in terms of like the whole, the, the whole persona he put across. Like yeah. he was, he was always good to, uh, and I see the opposite is one of Benitez, one of uh, Mourinho's rivals, I suppose, his longtime rivals, Benitez. I, I per- personally really liked Benitez when he was at Chelsea. And yet, to to write on him, he was just kind of like, oh Christ, this is just boring. Yeah. <laughs> but every so often, you, you, yeah. Because yeah. the act with Rafa was nearly always the same. Like eventually, every month we'd have the, he'd eventually take out some kind of bottles and try and show you some tactical stuff all the time. <laughs> but um, but he, he, he had moments where he could still be good as well. Yeah. Fair point. Okay, so I, I want us to have a bit more of a deep dive into mm-hmm. like particular articles that you've written and. Um, and just like I said, pick your brains on some some mm. transfers and stuff like that. I just had a really random question though. Yeah. And that was so we've obviously been speaking about your 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 career in journalism. Mm. I wanted to take it all the way back though, <laughs> um, and ask. So you 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 uh, used to play football, right? And yeah. I, I yeah. think you represented uh, your uh, your county. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back in uh, back in back when in, I was about fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Only only the one appearance or two. Oh I think, right, because yeah. I was gonna ask like yeah. you know what. You know, why didn't you pursue a career in in, in football? Then? I, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't good enough reading. Oh I, I did have. I, I I was in some. Quite, I was briefly in some. Uh, this kind of academy little thing from my, my local club, my local Irish league club, Bray Wanderers. But that doesn't mean nothing the same as as or being at Crystal Palace. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, it's at the same level. But yeah. like that was when I was about fourteen or fifteen. That was probably my peak as a player. Right. But like I, I, I wasn't really good enough. Um, uh, but like I just also still love playing basically yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's still a claim to fame you know Definitely. representing mm. the county absolutely so the first thing I wanted to ask um, is your opinion on uh, the current situation of Gareth Bell mm. so you know it's been well documented that you know there, there, there has been some sort of breakdown between him and, and, and Zidane at Real Madrid and I guess I just really wanted to understand why you think that came about, considering he's had... Yeah, I mean, if you look at his career at Real Madrid, he's he's scored very important goals. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, delivered trophies. He's, he's you know, by, by all accounts, been a, a, a great player. So what is the issue with, between him and, and, and Zidane? Well, why just, just, I was just thinking there, as you, as you said that, like, if you actually look at the history of football in that way, there are probably... How many players? Is there maybe two, three, at best four? Maybe Di, Di Stefano... Jared Muller, maybe one or two others, who basically scored the key goal, the, the goal that won the game in yeah. two different Champions League finals. Mm-hmm. And yet, despite that, despite something like that, that should be a historic achievement, you don't feel Real Madrid fans or the club see him in that way. Uh, Zidane certainly never really has. Zidane's always seen him as a little bit of an inconvenience. Uh, I think he, when, when Zidane first took the job, he was better disposed to Bale than he is now. But gradually, just, he's just never really taken to him. Um and I, I do think part of the problem that brings both of this together is that ultimately, and some of this comes down to the, the re- always complex politics around Madrid, but basically, Cristiano Ronaldo being there for all of Bale's time by the last year has been a problem for him, not in the sense of winning trophies, but in the sense of how he's perceived. Mm-hmm. Because Ronaldo was signed by um, Florentino Perez's predecessor, who mm-hmm. was Calderon. And that, that's actually one of the reasons that I think Ronaldo ultimately left and why there was always tension between Florentino Perez and Ronaldo because Perez didn't see him as his own signing. He, he would have loved if he was his signing, but he wasn't. And he always tried to appropriate mm-hmm. it, but he wasn't. And I think he saw Bale as his big project because when he when when they signed Bale, and even for the first two or three years of Bale at Madrid, I think Bale was maybe quite similar, at least in terms of appearance to Ronaldo, and that he was, you know, a real athlete. A very physical athlete. And I think Perez had visions of... Uh, Bale succeeding Ronaldo in that role, moving in, coming in and off the wing, being the being the focal point of the team, 
And I, if you remember that summer when he signed in 2013, there was a lot of talk, a lot of genuine talk about Ronaldo going back to United that never transpired. Mm. So that was always kind of the undercurrent. But I suppose was that, was that Conquery? Yeah, that was definitely Conquery. Yeah, definitely. Was um, a bid submitted or? There was never. It never got to a bid. I think it didn't help when when Ferguson left that summer. But it, it was definitely in the off. A lot of like some of the stuff that I've been reading is saying that Bell. I know it sounds mm. crazy, but Bell hasn't done it in the big games. They said that he scored around three goals in the against the top four teams yeah. in La Liga throughout his period. So do you think that's one of the reasons why they're saying, you know what? Yeah, you give us the golden moment, but what's the record against Barcelona? Yeah. Well, but I, but I think that's connected to this wider issue as well. Uh, so f- they expected Ronaldo maybe to either just decline or move on eventually. Yeah, instead of what happened, Ronaldo arguably got better. The standards were incredible. And ultimately... The standards are really almost bar Leo Messi, who I think is a better player than Ronaldo. But Ronaldo had maintained standards that were impossible for anyone to keep, and Bale could never match them. And he, a further problem there was basically that because that Madrid attack is so do- was so dominated by Ronaldo, it meant that no one. If you look at Karim Benzema as another classic example, it meant that no one really flourishes because they're all there to serve Ronaldo. I think that's been a huge problem for Bale. First of all, mm. uh, he hasn't been allowed to kind of really be himself at Bale. If you, if you think of the player that was at Spurs, that's so often just, you know, pick up the ball, run, beat, beat two players and smash one into the top. <laughs> we never really saw that at Madrid it, so much. But isn't that because, like, you know, playing for Real Madrid is more, it's more like a tactical thing. You've got to stay in shape. You've got to cover the gaps. Whereas with Tottenham, he had, like, the freedom to express mm. himself. I mean, a, a little bit, I'd say. But, he, but even then, I think it was just, he was just completely, he was yet another player just, influenced or conditioned by the massive presence of Ronaldo. But isn't that the argument that like a true world-class player, I'm not saying that Bell's not world-class, I do think he's a world-class player, but you shine through that. Mm. For example, Coutinho's gone to Barcelona and he struggled. Yeah. Well, I, I think it is one of the, I mean, I, 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 wouldn't say that, I wouldn't say it's a reflection of the world-class talent. I think that's just more... Mentality. Just, no, but not even that. I think it's just some players are... Like, it, it, it's interesting. Like, Neymar is a player who everyone would think that He's exactly the sort of personality who wouldn't be able to handle being a sideshow to someone like Messi. And that, that's one of the reasons he left Paris Saint-Germain. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, the grand irony is, actually, Neymar was at his best when he was beside Messi, when yeah. he was at sideshow. I think it's just because some players are suited to it, some aren't. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily blame Bale for that. I think it's just in a bit of a... It's just one of those situations that hasn't completely worked out as it has been. But I think, I think that is, to come back to the point, that is ultimately why he's kind of just for a player who's achieved so much there and mm. had so many great moments that he just has felt he's, it's felt a bit unfulfilling and now Zidane doesn't want him there uh, but I do think that it'll just I, I think it's going to end in stalemate and it's going, they're going to have to it'll have Bale sitting on the bench because he's still got quite a few years left yeah, on his th- current three, three years yeah, yeah. yeah and, and he's on about what, 500k Six, a week 600, 600. 600 yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not going to be in any rush to leave any yeah, yeah, exactly. you know? yeah, I was reading your piece <laughs> and I think you were saying mm. that um Perez and Zidane, they mm. went to um, Lyon or I think Tottenham mm. the Lyon in the Europa League game uh, maybe six years ago to scout. And I think Zidane wasn't entirely impressed yeah. with Gareth Bell, yeah. but it was more of Perez's project yeah. to bring him in. Yeah. And do you, think the fact that, do you think the fact that Zidane has come back for a second time around, one of his provisos and remits to Perez was, I'm going to phase out Gareth Bell. Yeah. And that's why we're seeing that. Was, that. that was, and one thing, he wanted more direction and transfer, not just to accept whatever he's given. Yes. But yes. also, like, the, I'll be building this team as I want. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, it's already around Madrid now. There's a lot of murmur, a lot of discontent. Cause they're wondering about whether this transfer business summer was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, What's your take on it? How, how highly do you rank it out of 10 so far? Uh... Six, really? Yeah. How? Considering they spent what, 250 million. There's really? a lot. Well, so uh, there's been a lot of talk about their their analytics team doesn't really rate many of the players. That doesn't. Really? They, 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 and this is a team, and, and ultimately they've still got a bit of a problem in that the core of that team, which and there's a lot of arguments that's basically mentally jaded, and like which is mm-hmm. I suppose Varane, Crows, Modric, Sergio Ramos. That, yeah, Sergio Ramos. That that needed to be broken up, and it hasn't <laughs> been. It's still there. I know so we saw the culmination of that in the yeah. Champions League game yeah. against Ajax as yeah. well. The players just look absolutely shattered. Yeah. And Modric <laughs> going to the final in the um, World Cup, yeah. he came back looking really finished. Really. Yeah, but, so, but I mean, it was always it was one of Ferguson's great principles, basically, that any team only has a four-year cycle because ultimately, or three, four-year cycle because ultimately, if you, no matter what you win, it'll just kind of sap, the, it'll just take the edge away. I think that's mm-hmm. exactly what's happened with this Madrid. Speaking of Madrid, Paul Pogba, is it happening? Uh, I think that's somewhat dependent on Bale. Madrid basically, mm-hmm. at Madrid right now can't really afford what Manchester United want. 
So that's what it comes down and to. What's the figure? Yeah, uh, United World wants about 180 million. Wow. Okay, Do you think he's worth that? Um, talent wise, yes. Uh, marketing wise, he's worth a fortune. Although yeah. maybe not, not not as much as United thought he would be. But in terms of performance wise. He, I don't think he's done enough yet to uh, mm. to justify it. But Pogba, it's the brand. Yeah, it's yeah, the Pogba's exactly. brand. Yeah, yeah. Brand Pogba outweighs the player mm. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. He's got all the tools to deliver and to be a yeah. top, top talent. But the problem is we're not seeing it. Yeah, yeah, Who? completely. I, I find him such a frustrating player in that way. And that you can see that there's something more there. Yeah. But, yeah. Technically, who's better, Kevin De Bruyne or Paul Pogba? He's been doing the rounds a bit Ooh. on Twitter. <laughs> it has been. It has um, been. Maybe, I think De Bruyne... Is probably the best passer in the world in that bar Messi. Yeah, he just I think his, 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 deli- yeah. his delivery is incredible. Like, I love the way he kind of can just shoot or pass with such power and precision yeah. with, yeah. No, with yeah. no backlift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it almost feels like this is a weird thing to say, but it almost feels like Pogba has more, he, a bit yeah. more, more strength, he, be, be, better, better ball mm. control or something like that. Yeah, um, mm. if, you, if you know what I mean, mm. there's more, there's a bit more fluidity. Yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Brian is really upright in yeah, his, yeah. his gait. Um, Bruno Fernandes, what's happening? Uh, I think that's another situation, you know, that depends on Pogba going. Mm. Uh, because United at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that they haven't done more business yet. I thought Maguire would be done by now. Last week I heard that I was basically on the brink, although that was proven <laughs> not to be the case, uh, that they thought they'd made a breakthrough. Um, uh, and I, I do think that they won't be signing Fernandez unless Pogba goes. A lot of um, you know, reports in Italy have been jumping the gun saying that yeah, this deal's done. It's been done. That, like that, that does happen. That does happen a lot. And so the Italian and Port- so the Italian and Portuguese press are both very agent driven. So okay, uh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Mm. yeah so yeah, Harry Maguire is that happening? I mean, he's recently called in sick to work. Oh, no, they're, they're saying that was unrelated. Unrelated, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I what they always what say. What was really funny I think was James I saw Madison. James Madison's yeah, response yeah, yeah, to yeah, it. He yeah, was yeah, like, oh, yeah, he just he's had, had a bit the of a runny tummy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was interesting. But apparently also Leicester have increased their uh, their asking price for him. Yeah. I, I, I'd say I'd be shocked if that doesn't happen. Shocked. I, I, I'd be, I, I really think it will. So how highly do you rate him as a centre-back? I mean, we saw him in the World Cup, have a decent World Cup. For me, I'm not really convinced. <laughs> I, I, I think I think he's a good player. He's better than what United have. Um, yeah, but he's not good enough. I don't. I don't think he's worth eighty million. I, I, is he ultimately like most expensive defender? He, of all no, time. no, no. He's not, he's, not, he's not Van Dyke level. Okay, let's put yeah. perspective on it. Value Van Dyke as of today. Uh, one hundred and fifty million. So if Van Dyke is one hundred and fifty mil mm-hmm. today, Maguire eighty mil. Yeah, but even 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 if Van Dyke is worth one hundred fifty million, I still don't think Maguire is worth eighty. <laughs> no, that, that, that's wow. fair. Does enough. he drastically improve Man United's defense? Um, no, but he might. I think he. Has, I think he will have an overall positive effect, and I think part of it as well. One of the reasons why they want him is that he's seen as everyone says that he's basically a good lad who in a, in a team that probably he's, that dressing room is seen as a little bit toxic at the moment. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think he's seen as a good character, and that that's part of it as well. So, at the end of the day, are Leicester getting a better uh, deal out of it? Because they're, <laughs> of they're, they're yeah. getting 80, 90 million and they're rumoured to be interested in Lewis Dunn, yeah. who's, who's a player, I think, yeah. who uh, definitely could play at a higher level. I think that's one of these offers for, for Leicester. I think that's a no-brainer. Mm. Maguire's a good player. He's been a great servant for them, but he's not irreplaceable and they're getting huge money for him. So, I, 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 I take his snap United's hand off. Talking about Man United, there's been rumours today linking a swap deal with Dybala and Lukaku. Mm. What's your views on that? And do you think it's tangible? And do you think it's going to happen? It is tangible. Whether or not a direct swap happens, I'm not so sure because those those deals are very difficult to do. Um, obviously, I have to say, I'm some way surprised that both of Italy's major clubs are interested in Lukaku. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> mostly because suppose, he's been a bit of a disappointment at United. Mm. Has, has um, he really, though? Yeah, I think. Stats give, give, and figures. Give, give, give His stats are okay. They're good, but given given the overall effect, like given the fact that... And it's a price tag as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a price yeah, tag. Right. And, and for that price tag, given that he's not the primary striker in the team now, that he's essentially expendable. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, what this comes down to, and what a lot of Lukaku's issues come down to, is that Conte has a defined role from Inter. The same defined role he had at Chelsea. I think Lukaku's maybe unlucky that he didn't um, go to Chelsea in 2017. I think his career could have worked out a bit differently. Uh, I think it would have been much better for him. And I think that's one reason, maybe, or it's impossible not to think that's one reason why he's not with Mina Royal anymore. But so it, it, Conte badly wants Lukaku, 
so therefore Inter badly won for Lukaku. But the politics are such in Italy at the moment, or the football politics, is that obviously Inter have Juventus' former coach in Conte, who, a club legend who's now tarnished because he's gone to Inter. They also have um, Juve's former official, uh, Marotta, uh, who's now CEO at Inter. And Juve are seeing this and seeing the potential rise of Inter and are basically trying to block it. And that is seen as one massive reason why they're uh, interested in Lukaku. And why they're willing to let Dybala go. And now, Dybala has is... gone off the boil a, yeah. a, a boil a little bit, has to, be, has to be said. But he's still a brilliant player. Uh, and I think that the Juve think Mandzukic works better with him. But, um, but even still, I, I'm... <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still really... slightly amazed that yeah. <laughs> don't you think yeah. the baller like fits the criteria of a player that could come to the Premier League and fail especially if he goes to a team that's been dysfunctional yeah. as Man United but yeah. that's the weird thing I actually think Dybala would be the perfect Sarri player Okay, uh, and, but it, that, I think that points to the fact that Sarri may not, may not have too much of a say about the players he comes in at Juventus because um, he said something in Singapore when they were away in pre-season basically it's He's got to work with a, a team of 10 around Ronaldo. <laughs> wow. Um, we had um, African football expert Rahman Osman. Um, <coughs> Pepe, Saha, what's, what's going on? Uh, ultimately, that comes down to money. Um, Arsenal were very interested in Zaha, but Palace wanted uh, a lot more money up front. Zaha wanted more wages, so it was a bit of a no... Well, that became a no-brainer for Arsenal. That mm. They've got quite a limited budget this summer. And yet, they were able to get an £80 million player despite that budget because Lille were going to allow them to pay in installments. Mm. And that's what it comes down to. Is Saha going to move? Yes, I think he will because he's so desperate to go. And otherwise, Palace have a bit of a problem if he, if he doesn't. So is it Everton? It, it looks like it's going to be, yeah. He will be a good signing. And what's the fee that's being quoted? Uh, Palace, Palace wants upward of... I mean, this is the thing about Palace, to be fair. They're good negotiators in that way. They stood firm on Wan-Bissaka. I think they'll, they'll stand firm on this. Like they, 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 and Everton will pay up. Yeah, Everton do have money now, yeah. It's interesting, actually, that Everton arguably have a bit of a... Well, it looks like they've got a bigger uh, transfer kitty than, the, than Arsenal. Mm, I but really like the business that Everton are doing. Yeah. You know, yeah, signing Andre Gomez. And then they end up eight. Yeah, but you have, <laughs> to, <laughs> pra- you have, you have to praise them for their yeah, show of yeah, ambition. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not for the ones that are not trying. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, so. and to be honest, it, it you know their front three, arguably next season, could be very scary. If they sign Zaha, yeah. they're also interested in uh, Moyes Ken. Mm. So... You know, Richarlison, Moyes Keane, and, yeah, yeah. and Zaha is is it's a, problem. A, a, a really <laughs> really dangerous. Uh, yeah, honestly. So so back to the the, the this whole uh, argument between Zaha and and and, and Pepe. Mm. So if all things were equal, yeah. um, and Arsenal were able to structure the payment um, that they're doing for uh, Pepe in the same way for Zaha, do you think that? Pepe would have still been the player that Arsenal had uh, gone uh, ahead to, and tried to sign. I think I think they probably would have got Zaha because uh, Emery liked him so much, and he was their, the one they went for first. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to whether Zaha is a better player, I'm not sure. I probably haven't seen enough of Pepe yet, but mm-hmm. he looks very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could argue, I suppose, that there's been more end product in his career so far. Yeah, have, have Liverpool blown their coin? Um, it's an inter- it's an interesting mm-hmm. one that because if you look at that Liverpool team. Now, there's probably only one area of weakness. Maybe two. You could maybe argue that one of the centre-halves could be better. But then... Do you reckon? But, then, but this, this is the thing, I suppose. It's not, it's not exactly like Lovren's in the team every week anymore. So, That's a little bit harsh. Especially for someone who was so good to the media during the World Cup. We always stop uh, I, the midfield, I suppose. And yet, from talking to people around Liverpool, that, the suggestion is that... That that midfield actually works perfectly because if they had a more creative element in it, it would actually impinge on the rest of the team. Definitely so not having definitely that. I, the no. only weakness I see in that Liverpool team, I think Dej will agree with me, is that front three. If any of them are curtailed by a nasty oh, yeah, injury, yeah, yeah. Liverpool are in big yeah, okay. issue. Yeah, I, I, do, I do agree with that. I suppose Klopp has shown he can adjust and there's the development of Origi as well. Yeah, but it's not enough. You can't. Yeah. Origi can come in for one or two games. Can he come in for ten? Yeah, yeah but the problem is which attack in Europe is going to come to Liverpool to sit on the bench? Yeah. We've seen it with Harry Kane. We've seen it with Harry Kane. Who's going to come in and say, you know what, I don't mind playing 10 to 12 yeah. starts yeah, a season. But my point is, is that Liverpool can adapt the team. They can put a 4-2-3-1. They can have Fabinho and Cato, Hen- Fabinho mm. and Henderson sitting in the base and you make room for an extra attacker. Yeah. Whereas, that's what I was trying to say. My dream front four was Pepe on the right, Salah, sure. 
in the number nine position. Um, Bobby floating as a number 10 and then Mane reconstruction on the left wing and that works yeah yeah um, on paper it does paper, but it, it seems that Klopp has yeah. this nice 4 3 yeah. system and it works to Liverpool's favour yeah, yeah. you've saw got the three midfielders in the middle doing the legwork mm. then you've got the three attackers go and win us the game but I, 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 let's, not, let's not forget as well Klopp has actually been very forensic about his signings I mean you, mm-hmm. could, you couldn't get more specific I suppose about yeah, Dyke Allison so you, you, you do wonder whether he didn't want to take the punt in that regard um, and yeah, he he can actually. So sometimes there are there are times you think Liverpool should sign him. He'd work brilliant for them. And Klopp just hasn't really been interested. Uh, I, I think he does have such a clear idea about what is what his team is. I think there's been a contradiction because the owners have come out and saying we're not happy. We're going to spend whatever it takes to win this Premier League. And Klopp is saying we got to pay rent. rent. Mm. So yeah. who's telling the truth? Well, I. I uh... I, I, I think I think this mostly comes down to Klopp, I have to say. Um, <laughs> if you remember, Ferguson used to be like this a lot, in that he would have United would spend a lot of money, but they would have a lot of summers where they actually didn't do that much. They bring they bring in one or two players, um, like in the like summer of '99 after they won the Champions League, like Liverpool. All all they did that summer was bring in Quentin Fortune, Mikhail Silvestre, and uh, Massimo Taibi and Mark Bosnich <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they, they had the, the goalkeeping problem yeah, <laughs> but, but when you look at Liverpool as well Klopp's mentality hmm. he sees so much improvement in that Liverpool team you know Alex Oakley's Chamberlain yeah, he's coming back from exactly, an injury yeah, yeah. Yeah. Keita yeah, yeah. he only, he only mm. started the season late mm. you know Fabinho he's got another season in his mm. legs you've got the young lad Rian Brewster you've got Harry yeah. Wilson Shakiri. so I think Klopp's mindset is you know what instead of spending money yeah. let me develop from within yeah. and the chemistry of the team is right now I think the only issue is though I just and the problem for Liverpool I think that while City I think are a shoe in to basically get around the same points like between 95 and 99 you points. think so yeah, I agree yeah. I agree yeah. I, well, I, I can't see how Liverpool sustain last season but then to be fair I remember in January last season I said the exact same thing I think Liverpool can't sustain this and they did so you never, you, you never know in that regard Moving on to Manchester City, mm. what do you think about Leroy Sane? Is he going to Bayern Munich? No, I don't. I don't think Bayern will pay pay the money. <laughs> wow. um, and, it, and it's interesting. City have been quite quiet in that regard, actually. Um, I think if they're going to sell Sane, they might have been a bit more active in terms of the four positions. But I suppose they're so well stacked, City. It's it's uh, it's ridiculous. Mm. Um, what what I find quite impressive is also like how particular they are about. Because I, I I mean you mentioned. Uh, Klopp being very forensic. Mm. I think also Pep is in that regard in that he knows exactly yeah. the profile of player that he wants. Um, and when there was, you know, rumours about Sane leaving, I, I think I read something yesterday mm. or the day before about uh, the player that they were looking at. Um, um, Real Sociedad. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the yeah. Oh, he has about, yeah. And and it's just like they have exactly their targets the and know exactly mm. what, they're, yeah, what, they're, yeah. what they're after. But it's see, impressive. It does actually, I think that's, I did a piece in this about two weeks ago. I think it's a massive reason basically why City and Liverpool are where they are and why they're so far ahead of everyone else. Yeah. And if you, obviously with City, there's, there's the money, which is huge and like the takeover, which is the ultimate the foundation of the modern club but what that what that has eventually led to is that I don't think you can see two clubs with a clearer idea of how they play like they have such a defined idea yeah. and what that means is I mean I was talking to an agent about this but basically Klopp or Pep can look at any player and this comes back to your point about Pepe I suppose or, or the signings they've made this summer Klopp and Pep can look at any player and within five minutes they know That's he can fit into my, mm-hmm. my fitting me yeah. and what that does is it minimizes transfer mistakes. It allows you to help your team more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Right? You spend your money more efficiently. And all it means that most transfers are going to be success. And gradually that, I suppose, all snowballs into you're ultimately looking at two teams who work so supremely well. And, and, and that's exactly what you're yeah. saying about Pep yeah. as well. Benjamin. So out of, mm. out of Pep and Klopp, who do you think has got the biggest chance of building a dynasty? Because last season the talk was that Klopp is building a dynasty. Pep is building a dynasty. They're both the two top teams mm. in England, so surely one of them can win. So if you were to put your mortgage on it, who yeah, do you yeah. think you know wins most of the trophies in England next I, season? I think uh, City again. I think there's just there's so much, so many, so many resources there. They're so wealthy. Pep is kind of in a situation where he's going to the entire club has been built up towards him. He's maximising everything, and I think the problem for Liverpool is against that. Like Liverpool can have to stretch everything to the absolute maximum mm-hmm. to compete in that way. I do think Klopp will Klopp will stay longer. At, at Liverpool than City than Pep does at okay. City um, a m- a much longer I'd say uh, I, do, I do think Pep could be gone within a year or two yeah that's, so that's what about the Champions League I mean that's been the holy grail for City do you think they're going to come close this season or um, weirdly I'm almost getting into the mindset that they might never win it under Guardiola 
I, they're such strange. I mean, because I think last year, I think they were obviously the best team in Europe. I was the best team in Europe the year before. And yet, like I was at the Spurs game, the home game, not the away game. And they were so, like they'd been on brilliant form in the league at that point. And then suddenly they turn up at Spurs and they're so tepid, they're kind of reserved. And Guardiola makes some strange tackle decisions. And I do think for, for a number of reasons, he has this strange neurosis about the Champions League. In the competition he wants most. And he can't express himself in the way he'd want in it. Because I think, he, like if you, if you look at Guardiola's even his history, he would he there's all those famous photos of him as a ball boy at famous Barcelona matches in the European Cup back in the day, but that was a club that for all Barcelona's size, that was a club that didn't actually win their first Champions League until 1992, which is really wow. late until Guardiola's player. So he would have grown up with, with as a Barca fan with this kind of strange obsession with the Champions League that was very rarely realised. Added to that, there's this kind of pressure that he hasn't won it since 2011, that he didn't win it with Bayern, <laughs> yeah, that he that he hasn't yeah. won, that he hasn't won it yet with City. And I think all that grows to make and it almost make it kind of. I don't want to say he scrambles his brain a bit, but I think it makes him second guess everything he does in the Champions League. Gundogan that, said that yeah, as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and I think that becomes a problem in the big games. And I think that's that's ultimately what, yeah. what's missing. Why yeah. they why they can't and really I, deliver. And actually, I don't think that will change this season. Benjamin Mendy, what's happening with him? Is he is his future up in there? Uh, well, I suppose they can't really find a buyer. Injuries. They would have been willing to sell him. Really? Uh, yeah, really? yeah, they, wow. They, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Uh, because I think uh, the Guardiola they get a bit pissed off with all the uh, the Twitter stuff, <laughs> right? Okay. But um, but isn't that also partly because I mean he's 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 had these you know, sort of niggling knee injuries that keep on sort of uh, uh, recurring. So I mean he's not really got anything else he can do. Yeah, just, that, that, that's true as well. Yeah, <laughs> but I think Guardiola was maybe a bit more focus on uh, yeah, work away from. Uh, but then anyway, it's a, I, I I do think Mendy gives City a different dimension in that way. Yeah, power Mendy's and kind fit, of, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and the guy that they've they've just uh, Angelino. Back, mm. Angelino. Mm. What 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 do you think he he can do and, and offer that team uh, this season? Do you think he'll start over Zinchenko? Yeah, uh, probably. I mean, it still felt as if Zinchenko was a little bit of a compromise. Even he's a good player. Yeah, uh, I think Angel- he's more suited to what overall what Guardiola wants. And I think maybe it'll ultimately allow more uh, technical possession of the ball. Uh, Rodri, yeah. what's what's your take yeah. on him? How yeah. big a, a signing is that? A, a brilliant signing. Uh, I, like I, I actually think that's a little bit of a kind of almost not quite the same level because obviously Fernandinho is there, but it's almost like a Van Dijk signing. It's, in the, it's what they obviously need. Yes. and he's, oh, such yeah. an, yes. he's a he's a he so fits that area. But I've seen him in pre-season for a few games and I've seen him look a bit clumsy. Ne- 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 never make a judgment on pre-season. Pre-season. Yeah. Never make a judgment. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy that's yeah. been compared yeah. to like a Busquets. Yeah, yeah. Drops in, gets the ball, recycles yeah. Yeah, but, possession. And but Miguel, <coughs> you say that, but I'll make a point that Fabinho last season looked rusty in pre-season and that carried along throughout the Premier League season up until January. Yeah. So clearly we may see something similar with Rod- Rodri. P- possibly, yeah. But I suppose all the, the main point being, I suppose, that Fabinho's obviously look. He's been a success now. So even even though the adjustment period might go on, mm. preseasons are actually not not the barometer in terms of kind of of course of course of course of course. And just I, I wanted to ask a, a quick question about Arsenal um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and our transfer window. Mm. They, they're much better than um, I expected. I have to say. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. I think you know it was all doom and gloom just yeah. you know yeah. a, a, a week ago even, yeah. um, and and now with you know. Um, what looks like a, 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 a pretty much mm. a done deal with um, with Pepe. Uh, there's a certain buzz around the club mm-hmm. at the moment, and 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 I think everyone's starting to think that you know we can definitely yeah. push on and, and and do something this season. Um, but there still remains that issue of the the limited transfer budget. So, mm. like you mentioned, the reason we're <laughs> able to get Pepe over the line is because of the structure. Yeah, they've been clever the there, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but still, yet yeah, there are other key glaring issues within that team mm-hmm. especially within the defense yeah. that need to be addressed if we're going to make any sort of progress this season and so what i guess what i want to try and understand is if we are to sign pepe and get that over the line how realistic is it that we get the tierney deal done perhaps also get a center back because you know we've we've got yeah. kashelny throwing his toys out the pram you know we've mm. clearly got issues that we need to sort out in in the defense how how, how likely is it that we're gonna at the moment the best i can see happens will be a loan deal for center half because from from what I've heard, I think Tierney will eventually happen. Um, Medley might get promoted to the first team, but I think alone as a stand-in is maybe more more likely. Mm-hmm. Uh, because from what I heard, even though as you say, I think you're right. They, they obviously the defensive record illustrates that they badly need a kind of a, a proper centre half. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like that was as much of a priority for the tra- for the transfer budget. And that's quite an interesting issue in itself because 
I think Arsenal's business has been good, and yet it could end up that it's not as good as it should have been because they haven't addressed the obvious errors. Yeah, yeah. And and this this maybe points to a wider argument that kind of has been touched on with Mislintat. I mean, he ultimately left the club in January because he realised that they weren't truly following through and following through in his model of how to recruit, which is very analytics based, very stats based. Uh, he didn't want to sign Dennis Suarez, but Emery insisted. <laughs> and also, that's another that's another issue with Arsenal actually that Emery has more power in terms of transfers than it was initially anticipated when Wenger retired. When when Emery was just supposed to be a head coach and under part, mm. he's got he kind of he's got more mm. power than that now. Uh, and now, so the the club's trans recruitment process is based on a lot of kind of relationships with clubs with agents. Um, which is so 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 so, so yeah, so, so yeah. it's interesting. Did, so this se- yeah, so this season could be a little bit of a referendum on what approach works best. Yeah, I was reading the piece that um said that um Mislinta actually wanted to promote Emil Smith. Yeah, that was, that was my, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. instead mm. they went and got um Dennis so, Suarez. Yeah, yeah, who and we play, seen, yeah. yeah, we see yeah. how that worked out. So yeah. yeah. Do you do you Can think I, that um Emery had an an input in the signing of uh Pepe or do you think he? he yeah, yeah, I think we, he did want that kind of that that kind of fast winger. Yeah. Can I ask something, Mikel Arteta? What actually happened? Um, so Arsenal themselves are very hard to the line that there absolutely was not a U-turn that um, Emery was always the decision they were eventually going to get him and yeah I know for a fact from people who work with and you know I'm old, uh, are very in with Arteta uh, that he was very very close to getting the job and whatever about what Arsenal say people close to Arteta think there was a late U-turn Mm. Is that because of his wow. demand saying that I want this transfer kitty and Arsenal weren't willing yeah. to give it to him? Because for me, Emery is like a stopgap. He doesn't see me as a manager to be yeah. the finished article of a club. I would I would agree with that. And I think he does. He, there's a little bit of an Emery that makes you kind of think he's a bit of a kind of like, there's not too much of an identity to, to, that he's kind of just kind of just an, another you know, te- technocrat coach. Whereas <laughs> technocrat. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, because yeah. he came and he was like, oh, I want to play, yeah, yeah. I want to be the protagonist. He was playing <coughs> out from the back and then yeah. within two weeks, he chucked it in. He I know, up. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he's a good manager. Uh, I, I, but he's a, good, he's a good manager though and um, I think it's probably been... I, I, I wasn't sure what I thought about him before this season. I think there's maybe because of the clubs he's been at and the trophies he's won, which is essentially Europe's second tier trophy, the Europa League, so much that he was a bit of a second tier coach, but there are obviously qualities there as well. Fair point. Okay. We're going to round up and call it a day there. We're going to do something that we haven't done before, actually. And we're going to do a two part series. So the first part was obviously us getting to know a bit more about um, Miguel's career um, and, and, and asking him a few questions about um, transfers and whatnot. Uh, the next uh, uh part of the series is going to be delving into the Premier League. You guys, uh, you love coming, spoiling. It's, it's too yeah. much. It's we too do. Much. We, 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 no. we spoil the listeners, don't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, They're we're, too friendly. We're the people's podcast. <laughs> That's the one. Over the, the summer, podcast. we've That's got it. the best possible guests. And I mean, I think you viewers have to agree that we've enlightened you a lot. Yeah, yeah, we've given yeah. you inside scoops mm. into the football game and I hope you enjoyed it. That's it. So we're 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 gonna we're gonna wrap up here. We're gonna stop here. Keep your ears peeled for part two. Over and out. Use the hashtag TBG Pod. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.